in a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars. One oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. And this is episode two. Joining me today is my talented co-host, Patrick Pister. What's going on, Patrick? Oh, just recovering from the weekend. Had had cousins and nieces and nephews running around. It was a little crazy here. Yeah, speaking of <laughs> safety violations, when you have a bunch of little kids running around, it can be crazy. Oh, yeah. We had, we had water and electricity, and Dad was out there being being diligent and keeping them safe. Yeah, I, I actually think it's cute. I um, have a friend of mine that works in the industry, and uh, every year for uh, Thanksgiving, they fry a turkey. And so when we go over to their house, he has little orange cones <laughs> around the turkey fryer. It's like, you know this guy works in the oil and gas industry when he marks off the safety area around the turkey fryer. For sure. Yeah, so this is our uh, our second show. Um, hopefully we're getting a little bit better at it. Um, you know, if, if this is the first time you've joined us, um, Patrick and I's mission, if you will, is to help educate uh, our audience and, uh, and grow our audience to help un- people understand, you know, what it takes to be safe out there. You know, um, your health and your safety is, is vitally important. And, you know, if we can do it and throw a little humor in, uh, we've considered we did a good job that day. Absolutely, Mark. That's what we're here for, to, to sh- share our knowledge and keep everybody safe. Yeah, and speaking of sharing our knowledge and keeping everybody safe, I found this article, which I think is just fascinating, in Health and he- Safety and Health. And they're talking about how safety during a downturn. This brings up all kinds of stuff, Patrick. Um, you got a lot of expertise being out there on the rig. So when you know, what some of your thoughts around, around uh, HS&E during the low crude price market? Yeah, when you get out to remote remote job sites, people get get distracted. They got family life and home life and, and things going on other than work. And that those distractions are even more pronounced when you have a downturn in the market. Everybody's worried about, you know, am I going to be the next one to let go? Is our rig going to have a contract? Are we going to still be working on this job site a week from now? Those all play into keeping your focus on the job. It's it's dangerous work out there. I, I, I should say it's hazardous work out there. Um, and if you've got your head in the game, you'll be safe. But low coup prices got everybody on edge. Yeah, and this article had brought some actually really good things, such as, you know, some of the guys that have been there for 10 or 15 years may have to go back to doing what they started doing. So what they did, you know, 18 or 20 years ago, you know, whether it's being a tool pusher or whatever, just to keep, uh, you know, keep staying employed. But now they're 20 years older. And so that's something that was like, it's like, wow, I, I can imagine trying to, you know, go up, try to go be a roused about after I've been a drilling supervisor for 20 years. And, you know, you're, you're 20 years older and you, you got to you know, kind of take that in consideration. Yeah, but something great about this industry is these guys are, some of them are volunteering for it. They know that if they're too high up on the totem pole, if they're paid too well for what they do, that that makes them a target. So they're, they're volunteering to, to take uh, demotions or transfers or go back in the field. Um, but it's hard on them. Like you said, they're 20 years older than they were when they got out there, you know, slinging tongs and, and humping buckets and whatever else they're doing. But it's what you got to do to... Uh, uh, sometimes to keep your job and sometimes just to keep your rig working. Yeah, and the, another thing that they brought up is that if you have younger people uh, in the industry that are new to this and this is their first downturn, you know, emotionally that can really affect them. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you see your promotion uh, opportunities kind of go out the window when somebody with much more experience 
takes a take a spot, you know, two levels below him, but but one right above you. So you know, you know, what's your next opportunity? You just you got to wait it out. And the best thing you can do is learn from learn from those guys and become better because the market will come back around. It'll it'll turn around and and those opportunities will open back up. And you want to be the most experienced, knowledgeable person ready to jump into those roles when the when the older generation decides to um, to hang it up. So Patrick, let me ask you a question based upon your experience. So when you have this type of market conditions and the upstream companies and the, the service companies that service upstream, they're, you know, a lot of them are really suffering right now. Does safety ever take a hit? Like do people cut back on training or, you know, PPE or whatever, or, or, you know, or is safety always the number one thing that everybody's worried about? I'd like to say, no, safety doesn't take a hit. And the, the mentality is no, it doesn't. It, it's always the first thing you talk about in a meeting. It's always the first concern. You want to do the job safely before you get the job done. You, you don't want to hurt anybody. That being said, when you see cuts you know, in, a, in an HSC department, when you see less involvement from the office, because there's less people in the office to come offshore and, and, and visit those remote job sites, you have to kind of put the pieces together that they're, they're saying one thing, that safety is the most important thing, which it is. But they're cutting back in, in, in an area here or personnel there. And that's it's across the board. Every, everybody's cutting back. Everybody's trying to save money and, and do more with less. Safety is still number one, but they're, they're, doing, they're doing more than they've ever done with less than they've, they've ever had. Yeah, and, you know, we talked about this, I think, on our first show, how I was recently got to do a rig tour and I hadn't been, haven't been on a rig in 15 years. And I was amazed at how much of that stuff is automated. So even in a downturn environment, it still has to be safer than it was 10 years ago with so much automation out there. Yeah, they've done a great job of engineering safety features into all this equipment. But things break down. You have to keep your head on your shoulders, keep your, you know, keep your focus on what you're doing. You never know when that piece of safety equipment is going to fail or when something bigger is going to fail that's going to override that piece of safety equipment. So it is a safer industry than it used to be, but you still have to be a safe worker. You have to work on a safe crew. You have to work on a safe rig. You have to work in a safe company. Yeah. So this is a perfect time. So let's introduce our Red Wing safety tip of the week. The safety tip of the week. This one's going to be focus on your emergency procedures. When you get to a remote work location, you want to focus on what your emergency response duties are, where your exit paths are, and that's from your quarters, from wherever you're staying at night, from your job site, um, and then have an alternate. And this is extremely important. You're not familiar with the, with the location. You want to know your exits and, and know an alternative to get out of there, which brings me to a, a bit of a funny story. I was coming back from Angola, and we had flight was a little late, so we got there when everybody arrived. It was Air France, British Airways, every, all these planes had got in at the same time, so there were thousands of people in line to go through customs. And I start looking around and thinking there's only so many customs agents, and there are a couple thousand people that need to go through customs, what happens if there's an emergency? How do you get people through customs into a safe location? So when I got up to the, I got up to the line and they're checking my, my passport, talking about where I've been, uh, I just asked the guy, I said, what do you do if, if a fire alarm goes off? What do you do with all these people? And he just looked at me with a blank face. He said, I have no idea. Ouch. It was pretty shocking. He did point to his supervisor who was going up and down the, uh, up and down the rows, keep an eye on things, he said, but he knows what to do. So at least he knew where to go get the information. But in an emergency, when you've got that many people panicked and trying to find an exit that also have to go through a security process, um, he just didn't know what to do. And it could be a mess if there was an emergency ever. Yeah, it's funny. It's, um, you know, I speak quite a bit uh, publicly. Organizations ask me to come in and speak on this or that. And before I even get started, before I even introduce myself, I, I 
have a safety moment with the audience saying, okay, here's our exits here and here. Um, you know, we're not expecting any emergency drills. So if, if a fire alarm goes off, this is what we're going to do. It's just because it's ingrained in the industry. It's, it's amazing that the airport didn't, surely the airport had it in place. It just probably wasn't communicated to the guy that you were talking to. But those frontline employees need to know, knew what their responsibilities are to keep, keep everybody safe. And it's, it's funny you mentioned that about the industry, that even you, you go to the hotels and they'll have their safety or uh, fire marshal come and, and he'll give a, a little spiel before any of the speakers get up and start start doing their, their routine. Some industries really embrace it. Uh, hotels, they, they have a lot of people to keep, keep organized and keep safe. And oil and gas, it's, it's just ingrained in us. That's what we do. First thing you do is think about the safety of your crew before you start any job. All right, so that was our Red Wing safety tip of the week. Now we're moving into procedures. And Patrick, you got a lot of background here. Procedures, they're a, they're a touchy subject. There's, there's multiple philosophies on how procedures should be written, how they should be managed, how they should be implemented. And that changes from the guys doing the work to upper management who wants these procedures, keeping the work standardized, safe, efficient. Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll, I guess I'll just... Sorry, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, I, I can see people sitting back on shore wanting to have efficiencies by having everything the same. But the reality is when you're out in the field, everything's not the same. Even if you're on two identical sister rigs, the crews are different. And that's, that's a problem when you try and write a blanket procedure that you're going to put to, to 10 different rigs. Here, this is the procedure for running the system. Well, like you said, every system's different, even on sister rigs, that an engineering design change was made in the yard when this one came out and this different type of material or different solution was found. So... Procedures aren't just cookie cutter. They're, and um, I would say as they're living documents, they should not just be written once and, and put on a shelf. You need the continuous improvement process to make those procedures more efficient. Yeah, and let me back you up because you know, we probably have a lot of new time listeners, first time listeners, because since we've only done this show twice. Uh, explain what a sister rig is in case somebody doesn't know. A sister rig is going to be a rig of the, the same design the systems are, are mostly the same. They usually come out of the shipyard around the same time. They have either the same, you know, they'll have the same hull, same basic machinery. There can be major differences between sister rigs. If one comes out that's going to a region that uh, dynamic positioning for their location positioning is preferred, and the next one comes out and it's going to a region where they don't want to have a marine system or a marine crew, so they want to go with a moored system, you'll have two you'll have sister rigs. One will be DP, one will be moored, which is it's a huge difference in the offshore world, but they're still considered sister rigs. Is it same hull design, same topside machinery, almost identical units with changes here and there, depending on the shipyard and the client and, and what they want. Yeah. So, you know, anybody out there doesn't know what a sister rig is now, you know, thank Patrick. So anyway, back to, <laughs> back to, uh, uh, procedures, you know, you talked a little bit about that has to be a living document. That's actually really important. Having a living document is very important, but those living documents are only as good as the effort that goes into them. Your company, your organization, and your rig teams, they have to have a culture of these continuous improvement processes and after-action reviews and, and capturing lessons learned. But there also needs to be a vetting process because you don't want to just constantly change the document back and forth between the same efficiency or safety measure or, or oil type or tool that you're going to use. You want a vetting system that says, yeah, that's a good change. We're going to keep that. Or, well, that change is actually something we got away from because it, it causes a problem here. So we're not going to add that change. But thank you for your input. So, Patrick, you know, realistically, from a tactical point of view, how would you do that? Would you have a team that reviews all the suggestions and then either approves or disapproves them? How, many, how would that actually work? Just running through the process, if you do a job that has a procedure, you want to close the job with an after-action review. 
And that should consist of all the notes you took throughout the job. If something worked right or you needed an extra piece of equipment or this procedure said we needed uh, three people, but four is really ideal based on the size and shape of the equipment. All those notes you're taking throughout the job, they need to get compiled. So, you know, the driller may be taking some notes, the derrick man may be taking some notes, the roughneck can make mental notes or even jot something down on his coverall sleeve. Have an after-after review. They used to say the job isn't done until it's the site's cleaned up. And I agree with that, but now the job isn't done until the site's cleaned up and you have an after-action review. So you can capture all these lessons learned and improve these processes. That being said, it's very difficult to get a, a rig team that wants to go, 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 to stop, do the paperwork, write it down, and then put it into the system or give it to the administrator that's going to that's gonna do this vetting process. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Um, in my experience, you know, dealing with people's that are actually out there drilling. I can't see them sitting down for two hours and, and writing a bunch of stuff down. So is is do you end up missing a lot of uh, good data in the field because people just don't want to sit down and, and take the time to, to write it out? Well, let me clarify a little bit. I'm not talking about an after-action review that's military-grade where you're sitting down and you're doing a full debrief of every aspect that happened. It doesn't have to take two hours or all day. It can be a five-minute, all right, hey, give me your notes. I'm going to put them in here. Or just asking the guys, what went well? What went bad? What can we improve on? Drop some notes down and, and put it in there. Or if, if everything went fine and, and there were no changes, all right, good. I just I wanted to know what y'all thought. Let's let's move on and we'll, we'll put this procedure away. So, no, they, they're not full multi-hour after-action reviews, of, of course, unless they need to be. If it's a, if it's a big multi-tower job that, that's taken a couple days to get done, maybe a two-hour review with, with the whole team would, would be well, but... Now, they're not really long. However, just like you said, even a short after-action review is hard to get these rig hands to sit down or just stand around and give their advice because they're usually putting equipment up. Go take that sling back to the back to the sling locker. Go, go put these tools away. You go get the permit for the next job. Taking five minutes to get everybody in one spot and talking about the job, it's still very difficult. It's not two hours. It's only five minutes, but that's still a, a big ask. Yeah. It's um, it's interesting that when when you talk about stuff like that, because now you're talking about trying to change the culture uh, on the rig, and, and and not just in the rig, but in the industry as as a whole, where the people that are actually doing the work see the value in, in trying to capture that, and I, I you know I guess over time we're, we're probably slowly changing that culture. Absolutely, Mark. The the culture out there is on, on offshore and onshore in the oil field. It's it's growing. It's it's changing. It's becoming more of a a team and let's do everything right so the company does everything and i keep you know doing this expanding model you you do something right your team does something right your crew your tower does something right your rig does something right the company does something right before it was very much a rig mentality that this is my crew and we know what we're doing and the other crew doesn't know what they're doing or this is our rig you know we got rig of the year last year we got rig of the quarter so we've got our stuff buttoned up and locked down it's those other rigs that that keep screwing things up for us now, with, with technology, it's easier to share this information. Maybe a little too easy to share every little piece of information, but sharing information is, is definitely helping these rig teams see that, oh, it's a, the, the culture is not just our culture. It's the company's culture. It's the industry's culture. Yeah, and, and you can tell. I mean, I, when, you, when you walk into a group of guys that are doing work for you know, this super major versus this other super major, you can, you can tell the difference in culture just by, by talking to them. It's a, that, that part of the industry fascinates me because that's always the hardest thing to change is the culture. The tools and the technologies can change, but it's getting the people to see the value. And, and there's an art and a science to that. And it's a difficult thing to change a culture. 
finding a rig that's doing everything wrong that, that has that let's just get the job done mentality if somebody gets hurt we'll bandage them up or run them off getting that thought process out of the out of the cruise it's it's a hard thing to do it's they say building culture takes decades and and ruining culture can take five minutes and watching a supervisor come out and look at his look at his wristwatch every time he looks at a job that subtle thing that the guys are picking up like, oh, time's more important than safety or time's more important than than this that or the other it's easy to erode a, a good culture it's very difficult to build up one and and keep one rock solid have you uh, have you worked in ones that were rock solid Rock solid is a difficult thing to say. There's always there's always lapses. I've worked with some very good crews. They stopped the job whenever, wherever. The OIM and the tool pusher came out on the rig floor if it was a big job and, and it got involved with these these pre-tower, these on-the-job toolbox talks. Those are good crews. That doesn't mean they, they, they're 100% all the time. They're Like I said, there's always a lapse. And I, I'll, I'll throw myself into that too, that if I was in a hurry... If I didn't think the risk was too great, maybe I'd cut a corner here and there. I, right, I'll, I'll jump into a good story that I, the one of the biggest mistakes I made was listening to a tool pusher who was in a hurry, and he was deferring to me. He was really more asking me in a hurry up kind of question: Are these cement cement tanks blown down? Blowing down a cement tank is is how you discharge the last of the cement. You have to blow up the tank with air and and let it flush out. We have to do this five or six times and our scales were broken and they'd always been broken since I got on this rig. So I was, you just kind of get a feel for how many times you have to blow it down. But the client wanted it done, which meant the tool pusher wanted it done, which mean I wanted it done. So I said, yeah, all right, fine. I'll do, I'll do one more and we're done. And I wanted to do two more. We only did one more. Well, it ended up an entire, an entire roustabout and roughneck crew had to help our, uh, our crew hump five gallon buckets of, of cement Ouch. out of the bottom of that tank. Ultimately, I think we got off we got off contract on time, and, and the the man hours wasted were offset by the by the savings. But it's something I wish I wouldn't have done. I wish I would have just stopped and said, "No, let me blow it down one more time after this, and we'll get all the cement out, and we won't have to waste any time." But it you know a guy had to be in the tank, we had to hump the cement you know up three flights of stairs out into out into big trash sacks. It was a mess, and it was it was my call. It was my fault. I was I was pretty green, but. I wanted to get it done. I wanted to make a, you know my boss happy, and, and he was putting a little pressure on me. But it was perceived pressure. The the pressure I felt was not what he actually meant. And hey, lesson learned. Yeah, I think we've all learned that lesson at least once or twice, maybe more than that. So this is a <laughs> this this was good talking about round procedures. It's also a good time to thank our sponsor, Red Wing. Um, they're doing something really cool for an audience. Well, we are continuing the much sought after offshore bags. So if you would like to win one of these Red Wing Offshore bags, and they're awesome bags. Patrick, you, you won one very early on, didn't you? I was the first winner of the Offshore bag. I'm a, I'm a fan of Path of, Path of Least Resistance. Y'all just started the pod, or just started the promotion with a podcast. I said, I'm going to enter because I doubt very many people are going to enter this first time, and, and it worked out for me. Yeah, I have one as well. They're, they're great bags. So if you want one, there's no person necessary. Uh, see the official site for rules and details, and that's the legal speak. Get that out of the way. But what you need to do is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there. We could draw one lucky winner a week, and good luck to you. Um, it's also a good time for us to talk about the LinkedIn group. If you listen to the show, do me a favor. Go over to the LinkedIn group, which is called Oil & Glass Global Network. It is our LinkedIn group for all of our podcast episodes. 
Um, it's, it's a great place for you to interface with your peers. It's a great place to learn about what's going on behind the scenes. Uh, you know, Patrick and I are, have some special stuff coming up that uh, will be a bit top secret, but it will be announced in the LinkedIn group first. Um, and it's just part of your oil and gas family. So go join our LinkedIn group. You'll be glad you did. And then let's talk a little bit about reviews, Patrick. Why do we need people to give us reviews? So your friends, your colleagues, the people in the industry or outside the industry can find us easier and learn from our expertise. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So this is a new show, which means we really, really need your reviews. So please do me a favor. Take the two minutes. Go leave us a review on iTunes, and it'll help us rank higher both in iTunes and the search engines so more people can find out about the podcast. And then if you've made it all the way to this point of the show toward the end, can you do me a favor and can you share the show? Um, Patrick, do you think we can get somebody to do that company-wide email thing? <laughs> no, please, please don't do that. <laughs> um, yeah, don't do that, folks. But, yeah, if you have friends, uh, family out there, point them toward the show if they, you think they'd find it useful or helpful. Um, promote it on your, on your social, like LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. Um, help us share the show so that we can build an audience, so we can have more people out there, so we can help more people make sure they're safe and they're uh, healthy out there in the field. Um, Patrick, anything else you want to talk about? I just want to say one more thing on the reviews, since this is a very, this is a brand new show. If y'all have any topics you want to, you want us to cover in that review, just throw you know you know focus more on PPE or focus more on procedures, focus more on on any topic you want. You know, put that in the uh, in the review, and we'll try and focus on that as well. Yeah, that's actually great input. Yeah, anything you want to hear, let us know, um, and then we will help customize the show so it'll be fit what you're looking for better. Um, about time to get out of here, I think. So, folks, uh, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London, to Dubai, and beyond.